And, and let me back up just for a moment because you said stuff we didn't learn at school. Yeah. But the first place we learn is at home. Mm. Stuff we didn't even learn at home. Like we can think for ourselves. Mm. That our feelings are valid. That what we want matters. And that you don't have to share everything. <laughs> you know, there's some toys you can keep to yourself. <laughs> you don't have to. Things that we learned at home, like, you know, you know, you're not always dependent on making somebody else happy or doing what they think you should be doing. And I think because we didn't learn that at home, we didn't learn how to be flexible. We didn't learn how to be observant. Because at home, when we observe things, particularly hypocrisies and, and contradictions, we were silenced. So we go out into the world and we see hypocrisies and contradictions and we're silent about them. And we don't trust our intuition. Mm. To me, mental toughness means that you trust what your heart is telling your mind. And then you being observant as to what's going on, you then follow what is aligned in your being as opposed to what other people think you should do or what is the status quo or what's in the matrix at the moment. Most of us never learned how to train our brains, which is why most of us needlessly settle, struggle, and worse, suffer. My name is Chris Doris, and I wanna make brain training mainstream. This is my series, Tough Talks, Conversations on Mental Toughness. I'm interviewing badasses from all walks of life on what mental toughness means to them and their unique approaches to strengthening their minds. What is happening, Tough Talks tribe? Welcome to the 100th episode of Tough Talks, Conversations on Mental Toughness. I'm your host, Chris Doris. It's our 100th. We got a hundo today, baby. That's pretty cool. And we got, we got one hell of a hundo guest. I'll tell you about her in a second. Uh, our one piece of housekeeping, as usual. If you are not getting your daily dose mental toughness tip in 30 seconds or less delivered every morning of the year at 6 a.m. your local time, no matter where you are on the planet, if you're not getting that in your email inbox, we got we, we to gotta get on that. Uh, also, if you're not getting notifications of my uh, blog posts that go out every Tuesday, and of course, if you're not getting notifications of uh, these podcasts, um, the new podcast episodes for Tough Talks, then we can fix that real fast. ChristopherDoris.com backslash lists. ChristopherDoris.com backslash lists, L-I-S-T-S. Email or name, email, click, boom, done, good. So as you can see, our guest today is Iyanla Van Zandt. Many of you will not need the introduction. <laughs> the introduction is cool nonetheless. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about Iyanla. Uh, by many accounts, Iyanla is the premier African-American teacher, writer, speaker on the subjects of spirituality, personal development, and loving relationships. She's the author of at least 15 titles, which include five New York Times bestsellers. She's the founder and executive director of the Inner Visions Institute for Spiritual Development, who conducts workshops and classes around the country throughout Africa and also in the UK, sharing her brand of practical spiritual and personal growth skills, which is a blend of ancient African wisdom and ancient universal principles. And as an author, Van Zandt has touched the minds and hearts of more than 8 million readers 
in 23 languages. She's a huge inspirational speaker, you know, at conferences, expos. She's won a jillion awards for all that. Um, she got her law degree from CUNY in Queens. She worked for a minute in, in, in Philly for the public defender. Uh, and then she started doing TV. Yeah, she did an interview uh, called From Welfare to Work, What's the Plan for Women? And uh, turned into TV stuff. And then, as you likely know, that worked out pretty good for her. <laughs> she got her own show called Iyanla Fix My Life, which is consistently, it has consistently held the number one rating spot on Saturday night uh, among women ages 25 to 54 and is still frequently in the number one spot on the Oprah Winfrey Network weekend lineup. So that's pretty freaking amazing. So um, she doesn't know this, that she's the hundredth guest. This is the hundredth episode. So I'm so pumped. Thank you in advance to both Alan D. Thompson and to my former coach, who I call the Admiral, uh, Steve Hardison, for creating this introduction. And uh, I can't wait. She's here waiting for us. All right, Ianla, where are you? Let's go find her. And here she is, Ianla. Hi, nice to meet Hi. you at long last. And thank you, thank you so much for making time to hang out and serve my Tough Talks tribe. Yeah, good. I'm glad you got a Tough Talks tribe. That means they got tough skin, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's what we're working on. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. okay, you know, so by the way, just uh, as we get started for fun, you know, I sported this cap for you. I don't know if you recognize the emblem or not. I wasn't, yes. gonna, I, I wasn't, do you know what that is for? That's P for Philly. You know it. Yep. Yeah, but I'm from Brooklyn. I know I, you are, but you spent, so what, you work for, <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait for my buddy, Devin Banderson. Have you met Devin Banderson yet? No. I suspect you will. He's from Queens. <laughs> he's been on the, he's been on the show. He's my boy. He, he's, he works with Hardison right now. Oh, okay. So he comes out here and stays with me in my guest bedroom every two weeks. So he's from Queens and he's a big sports guy. I'm a big sports guy from Philly. So we chatted up. You are the bridge between us. Okay. So much smack. But I know you spent a little bit of time in Philadelphia working at the public defender's office. I learned that today. <laughs> a little bit more research. So I sported this for you. <laughs> That's for you, Devin. So um, you know what's cool? H Happy Tuesday. Right. Isn't that amazing? All I, those things, right? I didn't think of that till today. Yeah. What? I didn't know that. That wasn't part of my plan. I, it just worked out. Sorry. And, yeah. and you changed the time from the one I requested to be now. So this is cool because at the time of this recording, obviously this isn't live and people hear it, it won't be that. But while we're recording, we got the vibe and the energy of it being 2.22.22 and it is 2 p.m. Eastern time. In a few minutes, it'll be 2.22 Eastern time. Right. A whole bunch of twos in the palindrome. Uh -huh. Right. Yeah. So we'll see how that affects us. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, two is about balance and we need so much more balance in our life. Two is about communication and we need that in our lives. Two is about unity and harmony and we need that in our lives. So today is a day to really tap into uh, balance and harmony and, and communication first with yourself. You know, we, we don't communicate with ourselves enough to be able to talk to anybody else. <laughs> Well, I'm so glad I brought that up because I didn't know. So I didn't. So you're a numbers person like Steve. Oh yeah, you got to be a numbers person. Oh <laughs> yeah. really? All right. Well, I love that balance, communication, and harmony. Yeah. So, people who follow this Tough Talks podcast know that you know the 
it, this is part of my legacy. My legacy is my content, right? And this is a form of it. And the reason that uh, this in particular, this podcast even exists is to let people know a couple things, stuff we didn't learn in school that I kind of feel like we should have, right? Like early, early on, which is that, you know, there's stuff we can do, things that we can do, practices, disciplines that we can incorporate into our lives, work, we'll get to that in a minute, that we can do to strengthen the way that we use our minds and experience reality, which of course changes our lives and changes the world. And then, and then also like, what is some of that stuff? So I use mental toughness as my brand, just so you know, I use that term mental toughness synonymously with emotional mastery and also enlightenment. It's not just the, you know, the offensive lineman in football <clears throat> grunt, you know, or the Navy SEAL toughness that's included. But mental toughness for me expands well, well, way beyond that. So with not saying any more about that, I'm curious to hear from you. What do you interpret the term mental toughness to mean? Well, I think that first of all, for me, in order to be tough, you gotta be ply of flexible. You know, you gotta be flexible. And, and let me back up just for a moment because you said stuff we didn't learn at school, yeah. but the first place we learn is at home. Mm. Stuff we didn't even learn at home. Like we can think for ourselves. Mm that our feelings are valid, that what we want matters, and that you don't have to share everything. <laughs> you know, there's some toys you can keep to yourself. <laughs> you don't have to. Things that we learned at home, like, you know, you know, you're not always dependent on making somebody else happy or doing what they think you should be doing. And I think because we didn't learn that at home, we didn't learn how to be flexible. We didn't learn how to be observant because at home, when we observe things, particularly hypocrisies and, and contradictions, we were silenced. So we go out into the world and we see hypocrisies and contradictions and we're silent about them and we don't trust our intuition. Mm. To be mental toughness means that you trust what your heart is telling your mind and then you being observant as to what's going on, you then follow what is aligned in your being as opposed to what other people think you should do or what is the status quo or what's in the matrix at the moment. Oh. Mental toughness to me means understanding that when you fall down, it's just so that you can have a quick snack in order to get back up. <laughs> You don't just stay down there, buy a condo. You fall down, you have a snack, you get up. And the snack is looking at, okay, how did I get down here? Uh, how did I get down here? Can I tell you a quick story? Yeah, you can tell as long a story as you want. Okay. So <laughs> I live out in the, in the bush country of Maryland. I have chickens and cows. I'm looking at a barn right now. So Sunday, I was in my, in my kitchen. I was cooking because I follow grandma's rules on Sunday. Then it got to be done by three o'clock. So anyway, I'm in the kitchen. <laughs> and my grandson had gone out with a friend and I was expecting them back around five. It's maybe two, three o'clock in the afternoon. And I hear boom, boom on my door, like somebody's knocking on the door. So I, I waited and nobody came in. So I go to the door. It's the door in right outside my kitchen that leads into my garage. And I open the door and there before me is a beast. <laughs> a beast. 
three and a half feet, dark brown face, black around the eyes. And I know this is a dog, but where is a dog from in this in this country? I, people out here had a little dog. They they don't have dogs. They have pets. So they have Chihuahuas and Yorkies. And <laughs> I've got two, <laughs> I've got two Pomeranians. One is peace. One is freedom. They're about this big. They each weigh three and a half pounds. They're outside in the pen in my backyard. They got a pen, a playpen. Okay. And I look, and there's this beast. So I slam the door because at first I thought it was a wolf. Wow. Which for me would have made more sense where I live. Okay. And I'm like, okay, now how did the wolf get in my garage? All right. Question. How did the wolf get in my garage? Let me hold that. So anyway, I say, okay, let me go see what this is. So it had walked down the stairs. It was at the garage door. I come up, I'm standing on the three little stairs and I look at this thing and I had to be observant. Mental toughness means observe, mm. not react, observe. So I'm looking to assess mm. this thing as quickly as possible. What do I see? It's got a collar on and it's a leather collar and it's got studs on it. What does that tell me? This dog belongs to somebody. Number two, I look at it. It's emaciated. Its ribs are showing. Mm. It's got a little malting on its skin. That tells me it's hungry. Okay. So my first thought is, my two little snack dogs are out there in that pen. <laughs> I've got to secure them quickly. <laughs> oh, they're going to be lunch. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but also that this dog is in a weakened state. This is just from observation. So when a wolf shows up at your door, first thing you do is observe. Okay. What is the wolf doing? All right. So I go back inside and I grab a bowl and some food. And I take it out there. And I, as I'm coming out to into the garage, the dog is coming towards me. And I say, go. And it went. I said, oh, okay. <laughs> Not only is it somebody's, it's well-trained. I take the food outside the garage, put it down. And of course, the dog is devouring the food. Oh. Now my heart opens. So even in the midst of difficulty, challenge, trouble, allow your heart to open. Mental toughness means that your heart can open and you can be vulnerable without fear. Okay. So I I go and I get, now I go, because I'm a mama, I'm a grandmama, I'm a great grandmama. I go get a can of food. So now I don't open the can. I take the can out there and I'm trying to put the can in with the dry food. The dog is licking my face, the can. Oh my God. In the meantime, my two little pets are in the pen having a hysterical fit. Okay. <clears throat> they could have laid on their back and screamed for Jesus. They would have done it <laughs> because they're looking at this thing they've never seen before. Right. Uh-huh. So I'll give the dog the food. Now, here's my plan. While I've got the dog, the beast distracted, I'm going to go get the two pets and put them under my arm and, <laughs> and get in the house because I don't know you know, what's going to happen. They're dogs. I don't know. So I go and I get the two screaming meanies out the pen, put them under my coat while the beast is eating. And I go in the house with (laughs) the dogs. And so the dog is there eating, eating, eating. And now I, okay, I've observed. I've opened my heart. So me and this dog are now in the presence of love. So I go back outside and I say, sit. It's sad. I said, okay, what do I do? This is somebody's dog and it's been lost for a long time. I don't want to call animal control because 
if they, nobody claims it, they'll destroy it. So I close the garage, I go back in the house. A few hours later, my son comes by. He says, what is that beast out in the <laughs> he said, I didn't want to take the, my son out the car because he said, that's, I said, I don't know. It just, he said, Mom, you live in the bush. <laughs> Why is that beast here with all of these other farms and houses? Why is the beast here, Mom? I said, I guess he came for the love. <laughs> oh. So he said he's going to drive around and look and see if there's any signs or anything, you know, and so we could find the owner because it belongs to somebody. So he said he went outside, he opened the door, the dog jumped in the car. <laughs> wow. With his six-year-old son. And now his son is petting the dog and the dog is looking at his son. And so my son now has a German shepherd. <laughs> oh, no kidding. But we did take pictures and put them around, you know, to see if anybody responds. Yeah. But here's the point I want to make in terms of mental toughness. Just the yeah. points that I made. Yeah, what yeah. do you do when a wolf, a difficulty, a challenge, a upset shows up at your door? The first thing you do is observe. Observe. Don't react. Get still. Don't be so willing to have to do something. Be something. Be grounded, be present, be first. And I think when I think of mental toughness, so very often we look for what to do and not how to be. Mm. So that's the meaning of my long story. That's a, what's, so what's the, you said your Pomeranians were named peace and what was the other one? Freedom. Freedom. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Now, does the beast have a new name? Well, we haven't named her yet. It's a her. Okay. So I'm really glad I was nice to her. <laughs> I would have been nice to a guy too, but it's a her. How, so yeah, uh, we don't know, not yet. We don't know. We know it has a name because it belongs right. to something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a great story. Thanks for it. And it's actually your story serendipitously is a perfect segue into my next question for you. So, you know, I love what you're saying about observe versus react. Right. So, you know, I, I, sometimes I define mental toughness as the ability, you know, the, the result of, having done the work to train your mind so that you're able, so you strengthen your response dash ability. Yes. Right. And that's, that's, that's a big part of the story you just told. So you've got, a, there's a, in one of your bios, I think it's on your website. It says your website, which is your name.com, yama.com. It says you've got to do the work, the real hard work on yourself from the inside out. That makes some people a bit uneasy, but for others produces real and lasting change. So here's my, I have a two-part question for you on that. What is the work and why is it real hard? Okay. Well, I'm old, so I remember the first part. You might have to remind me of the second part. I know I, I look got old. you. I'm old as hell. I don't remember <laughs> my glasses, okay? <laughs> the Looking work good. <laughs> Thank you. The work is positive regard and total unconditional acceptance and love for who you are. Your warts, your pimples, your boogers, your brilliance, your power, your wisdom, and understanding what supports the good and what triggers the not so good. That's the work. And it begins within, it begins with really looking at your addictions, your escape hatches, mm. 
your projections, your justifications, your judgments. It means really looking at when you engage any or all of them, what is it that you do to protect your ego, your personality, your image? What is it that you turn to when you're feeling afraid or uncomfortable or vulnerable? What, what are you addicted to? Is it TV, gambling, sports, makeup, exercise, marijuana? What is it? And understanding that, not that any of those things are inherently bad, but to engage them by choice rather than escape to engage them with a conscious mind as opposed to an unconscious drive or an unhealed wound or a, a, a unresolved trigger. So the work is really understanding those things. You know, I, I, I'm a, I've been a, a Yoruba priestess for 40 years and an ordained minister for 34 and a Lakota pipe carrier for 36 years. But on any given day as a human being, I'm subject to lose my damn mind and cuss somebody out. Okay. <laughs> Let's be real clear. Because I'm from Brooklyn. Okay. You know? Yes. All right. It's just in me. But I know now what will trigger that stuff. Oh, oh, the, the, that's four? You know I did that? Why? Two, 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 you two, got two. It. You got it. Yeah. You got it. It's the same. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt you. No worries. Let's just affirm balance in our lives, more balance and more unity and more, you, you know what? And on today, people may not realize this. Today, um, a court in Georgia um, convicted three white men of a race crime against a black man, Ahmaud Arbery. They found those three men guilty in Georgia, which we know has a history of a slavery and male domination. And yet in love and support, you and I, a white man and a black woman sitting here talking to each other, that's the balance to what happened there. You understand? Oh. And that's what we're working towards. That's what we want. We can't act like it doesn't exist. It does exist, oh. you know? But we don't have to be focused and upset about that because you and I are here doing something very better and something different. Yeah. Oh, oh, beautiful. Chris, it's really being able to get in there and say, you know, if, you, if I see you manhandle a child in my presence, I'm coming for you. Mm. My Brooklyn is going to be triggered and I'm going to be fearless and crude. I'm coming for you. If I see you, a man, uh, violating, abusing a woman in my presence, I'm coming for you. I don't care what color you are. I don't care how big you are. You could be the beast at the door. I'm going to observe. I'm going to find out how far I got to jump to kick you in your eye. <laughs> I got to tell the truth. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, but that doesn't mean I'm not spiritually enlightened and spiritually evolved and that I'm not a minister and a pipe carrier and a priest and all of these other things. But I know that about myself. Uh -huh. I know I'm not going to get in an argument with you about who you voted for, or who you didn't vote for, or who's right or who's wrong or who gets to count. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, you got a right. I accept you. We may be different, but abuse a child, abuse a woman. I'm coming. But some people don't know what'll trigger them. Some people don't know what they stand for. Mm. Some people don't know what they're ready to die for. Today, what would you lay your life down for today? The work is really understanding that because not understanding that Chris causes suffering. We suffer, 
because we don't feel purposeful, we don't feel valuable, we don't feel needed, we don't feel wanted. We feel like we're doing and not getting. We feel like we're giving and not receiving. But you may be giving to something that really don't matter to you. Mm. But you think you're supposed to, so you do it. So the work is that knowing positive, unconditional regard for yourself and accepting yourself as you are. And what was the other? Yes. You, 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 why is it so? So I, I, but this, uh, this is a very purposeful question, right? Um, and this is one of those slow down moments where I know that there's a, there's a real good nugget of gold and takeaway for the audience here. And why is it the hard work? Why is it so hard? Yeah, because we are trained from the womb <laughs> huh. to please other people and to pay more attention to what they want than to who we are. Hear what I said, mm -hmm. not what we want, but who we are from child. Don't do that, that's not nice. Share with your brother. Don't say that, Don't, that's mean. Always externally referenced. So when someone says to, and, and we're taught, you know, really the wrong things we do. We may get an attaboy or a good job or whatever, but particularly for women, you know, unless we're doing girls, young girls raised up, dress up, look pretty, uh, do this, be nice for other people. So when it comes to us having to take the time to look at ourselves, you know, why would I want to do that? <laughs> and I'm afraid of what I might find inside. I'm afraid that what I might find inside is going to be different than what they told me I should be. It's going to contradict what I've been trying to be. And most of us are really afraid to really take responsibility for our power. Our power to say no, our power to be great, our power to make choices. We're afraid of that. Because of our learning. Yeah, because of our conditioning. Conditioning, the conditioning of our past. Programming. You know, and one of the things that I teach, I used to teach for many, many years, was The Matrix One, the movie. Oh, okay. Neo. Yeah, love that. Use that. <laughs> well, yeah. One. Yeah. Uh -huh. And remember, Chris, that everything that he experienced was going on in his mind. And mm -hmm. he was strapped to the chair. Free. Going on in oh, yeah, right. That's right. Yeah. And here was the thing. This was the whole movie for me. I kept saying, well, wait a minute. He done beat Smith one time. Why does the Smith keep coming back? And don't Smith, is, is Smith retarded? Don't he know that Neil's going to whip his ass? What's wrong with him? But then when I looked deeper, when I became observant, I realized that he would beat one Smith, 10 would come back. He'd beat the 10, 30 would come back. He'd beat the 30, 50 would come back. Because he didn't believe in his own power, he had to keep proving it to himself. Uh -huh, uh -huh. He had to keep proving it to himself that he could do it. And that's what we do. We create drama and crisis and struggle because we don't believe in our own power, our own mental toughness. We weren't taught to trust it. We weren't taught, taught that it's valuable. We weren't taught to rely on it. So we have to keep proving it to ourselves over and over and over. And the way we do that is to create drama and crisis, problems, issues, and whatever. And then we resolve them. And then we look for the next one as opposed to saying, yeah, baby, I did that. I did that thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So, so I presume the work, uh, well, that's why Inner Visions Worldwide exists. Yeah. Yeah, it's to do the work. Can you tell us about Inner Visions Worldwide, please? Inner Visions Worldwide Spirit, uh, Institute for Spiritual Development really teaches people how to develop themselves from the inside out. 
Our motto, our vision, our purpose is remember the truth of who you are. So it's a, it was a two-year in-person program, but thanks to Miss Corona, it's now a one-person, one-year online program where we teach people to remember the truth of who you are. You're not what you've been through. You're not your father. You're not your, your issue. You're not your story. Who are you? And how do you stand in that and honor that and value that and live that in a way that not only gives you mental toughness and emotional maturity, but it also gives you joy? in your heart. It don't matter to me, black, white, straight, gay, old, young. Are you happy with who you are and how you be within yourself? So at InnerVisions, the Institute for Spirit, uh, Personal Development, the Personal Development Program, that's what we do, a series of of reading and teaching and exercises and practices and processes, the work that reminds you of the truth of who you are. So a lot of it, Chris, is unlearning. Uh Unlearning the matrix and all of the things that we've been taught and told and experienced and demonstrated. That reminds me of the the metaphor of the Statue of David. Yeah. Right? Chipping away what's not you. Yes. It also reminds me of the, like really the, the, one of the taglines. I studied at a place in India called the Oneness University. Oh, yeah. Are you familiar with it? Yes, I am. <laughs> no kidding. No, yes. I'm, no, I'm not kidding. <laughs> so I had the great privilege of actually sitting with the founder, Sri Bhagwan. Yes. Unbelievable privilege. Yes. Life-altering experience. Yes. And he describes when I asked him, you know, why did you even start this place? And, he, and his answer was, to help humanity free themselves from the conditioning of our past so that we can experience reality as it is. Yes. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah, that that whole notion of oneness. You know, the bodhicitta is the whole notion of the awakened heart, the enlivened heart. But what that requires very often, Chris, as you know, because you've been to the oneness university, is the vulnerability to your own frailty. And so many of us, we are afraid A, to be vulnerable and B, to embrace our frailties. You know, what is it that will take you to your knees weeping like a baby? But if without that, you don't have the capacity for compassion for others. Got to be able to have that. Now we can be sympathetic because when you got sympathy, you can go help somebody. Let me do that for you. Let me give you this. Let me get you this, which gives us value and meaning because it's a doing. Whereas vulnerability and fragility is a being. And we're, we can be that moment by moment by moment and live from that place with a level of mental toughness and emotional security that not only grows us, but it serves others. He's writing away over there. <laughs> oh, you got well. I, <laughs> yes, I am. I, I don't capture. So it's because I want to do some follow up. But you know, you remind me. I interviewed a guy named Gary Ridge recently for the podcast. He is the CEO of the WD Forty company. Oh yeah, the and oil company. The the, the can with the spray yeah. makes everything stop squeaking. <laughs> Yeah. Do you have any WD-40 in your house? I do. I absolutely Everybody do. does. <laughs> Everybody does. This guy is amazing. I love this guy, Gary Ridge, right? I asked him, 
uh, what's one of the most important elements of leadership? And he said straight away, empathy. And I said, okay, what does empathy mean? And, he, and this is how he answered. This is cool. He said, we're out on a boat, you and me, out on the ocean, rough seas. You're puking over the ledge, right, over the rail. I come over and I put my arm around you and I say, I'm so sorry that you're feeling sick. That's sympathy. Yes. When I start puking with you. That's empathy. That's empathy. Yeah. I thought that was pretty good. Yeah, that is that is absolutely good. Yeah, I've got WD-40 for my, my porch door. <laughs> Can you hear this? My chair needs it. Empathy. Yeah, I hear it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you some WD-40. This stuff's amazing. So um, what do your next five years look like, Iyanla? Oh, I don't know. I'm 70. I can't look that far ahead. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> I Come can't on. even the way I put my glasses. Well, um, yeah. What do my next five years look like? Uh, for me, the first thing is spending more time in stillness and in silence so that when I come out, I can be of greater service. You know, I'm not as sprightly as I used to be. <laughs> so I don't have you know, no I'm energy. Sure you hear this every day, but you do not look 70. I know. Yeah. I know. <laughs> Good That's on you. because I have to affirm peace and freedom every day. Good. <laughs> I name my you know what? what I Working. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so you know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to waste any more time. So I like to go in to the source and get clear about what I'm supposed to do, how I'm supposed to do it, when I'm supposed to do it, where I'm supposed to do it, and then let source bring me who I'm supposed to do it with. You know, I mean, there are like 16 people between me and the world, between the managers and the assistants and the but you sent me an email because you got to me through someone we both know and love. And I responded to the email because you got through the gate. Once you got through the gate, I knew you were supposed to be here because there's many who don't know how to get through the gate. Oh. <laughs> so. Oh. You know, this hour, this time that we spend together, for whatever reason, somebody in your tribe needs to see us on this day when a court convicted three white men of a racial crime and somebody in your tribe is upset, concerned, disturbed by that. They need to see us here together because everything happens the way it needs to happen. Somebody in your tribe needs to hear my voice today. Oh. Somebody in your tribe, you know, and so... Oh. When I did my prayer and meditation this morning, I didn't get any specific directions, but I already knew you had come through the gate. That's how I want to live. I don't want to plan. I don't. I did that in my 30s and 40s. That's how I ended up marrying the same man twice. My plan. <laughs> my plan. Okay. It did not turn out well for me. <laughs> Married and divorced the same man twice. So I figure, okay, my plan is really not based on anything that's helpful. It is very unhelpful. So let me work with another plan. So really, I mean, I, I, I'm a teacher. That's my purpose. So, and for me, teaching is not putting information in. It's drawing information out. Oh. So supporting people in the practices, the processes, the information they need to draw it out. So I know I'll be teaching. Every day I get a new book I want to write. Um, you know, maybe I'll write them, maybe I won't. Uh, every day I spend at least two hours quilting because I love to quilt. Oh, wow. so, cool. 
I'm quilting. And on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, I spent at least two hours watching Law and Order uh, because I just love it and I love Jack McCoy. Although the ones they're running now has the other DA, I don't particularly like him. But anyway. <laughs> that's so great. That's so great. So for the next five years, that's what I'm going to be. Be that's still, listen, get my instructions, quilt and watch Law and Order. Amen to that. <laughs> so when you say be still, I want <clears throat> to just open it up for a tiny second about how, like, what that looked like. So in case somebody is listening and go, well, that sounds very appealing and liberating. <laughs> so, like, how do I do it? <laughs> yeah, they want to do it. They don't want to be it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, for me, you know, stillness is a prelude to silence. And silence is where is a presence. It's a, a way of being that I go to to get instruction, clarity. But stillness is really a practice. Silence is a way of being, but stillness is a practice. And for me, that practice is based on breath. Because breath is what drops me out of the mind into the heart, drops me into a way of being. So deep breathing, a variety of different exercises. I mean, now it just happens when I say, get still, be still, oh. be still, be still. I've trained my mind. You know, a mind is like a puppy. I, I, I learned this many, many years ago. And, you know, I remember when I got peace and freedom, when freedom I got first, they're both girls, but um, no, it wasn't peace and freedom. It was my other dog. My friend had a dog named Wisdom. <laughs> Wisdom? Yeah. My friends name their dogs with enlightened names. You know, it ain't Bubba and, and Harvey. It's well, you are peace and freedom. <laughs> well, you know, I want to call what I want. I have to call it every day. But anyway, Wisdom was a Bichon. And so we were at her house one day and Wisdom, I don't think Wisdom was a year old. My son was sitting on the floor. I was sitting on the sofa, a couple of us sitting around and Wisdom went over to my son and began to hump on his leg. <laughs> Thanks for the visual on that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Did not my see that coming. was horrified. Didn't see that coming. My friend nope. was horrified. Wisdom just oh, ran over to my son and began to hump on his leg. And so she said, listen, stop. And so he stopped and he ran, went over and he had a little toy. It was like, a, I don't know, a snake or a dinosaur. So Wisdom jumped on the, on the thing and then started to hump on the thing. <laughs> and then we were all cracking up laughing. They said, well, listen, you know, you got to meet your needs. And so when he finished, when he finished with the dinosaur, humping on the dinosaur, he took the dinosaur in his mouth and took it over to my son it, like this, like, listen. Get it. It's a good time. I highly recommend it. Okay. Get, you, get you some. Right? And so, oh, my goodness. I always use that to equate thoughts. Thoughts are like humping puppies. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know, a thought will come up and it'll just hump on you. Do that. Do that. Oh do that. And um, if you don't train your puppies, they'll hump all over everything. <laughs> you know, if you don't train your puppy, of your fear puppy, it'll start humping on your confidence thoughts. Oh. And if you don't train your anger puppy, it'll start humping on your love thoughts. You got to train your puppies. Otherwise, they'll be humping all over the place. And stillness oh. for me is the way I keep my puppies trained. 
Mm. You know, once you train the puppy, it's trained. Mm. It won't poop on the rug. It won't poop in the hall. It won't hump on your guest. <laughs> you know, so stillness for me is how you train your puppies and puppies being your thoughts that'll just wander all over the place and do any manner of craziment yeah. if, if they're not still. So for me, breath takes me into stillness and I just learn to sit in stillness and see what rises to the surface. Beautiful. <clears throat> so a little shout out to um, one of the people that introduced us, Alan D. Thompson, who you know, who right did the research yes yeah the book, the right and you know the 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 um a few weeks ago there was an event yes and and your the recording of you doing your interview with alan was played at the very very beginning and it was profound yeah you know it was a profound day and that kicked it off and that was easily one of the greatest most um powerful moments of the day now Alan, so the book that, I, that I'm referencing here, in case people are not looking at the video of this, is called The Ultimate Coach, researched by Alan D. Thompson, <clears throat> authored by Amy Hardison, about The Ultimate Coach, who is that guy right there? Steve Hardison. You know the other guy? Yeah, that's Steve. Steve Chandler. <laughs> yeah, Steve Chandler, yeah. Was he at USM when you got your master's there? No, I think he came after us. Okay. Steve, Steve Hardison and I were together. I think... I think Adam, um, Steve Chandler came after. Okay. <clears throat> well, I've had the great privilege of uh, co-creating the opportunity to work with both of these champions. And you, you have also um, worked with Steve Hardison as well. And uh, so, so the question for, for you around that is how did you first discover Hardison, Steve Hardison, and, uh, and what, what made you even want to work with him? Well, we did our master's degree together at the University of Santa Monica. We were classmates. I didn't know that. Or yeah, if I, I did know I, that, I forgot yeah. that. We went, I think we entered in 97 and graduated in 99. Amazing. And we worked together, um, you know, as classmates. And he told me a story one time we were working together and he, um, was talking about an experience that he was having. And you know, I'm from Brooklyn, so I, I just went right in. I said, well, that's true. That's this, you know, I can see the truth of that. He was like shocked. Because <laughs> this is a big, beautiful man. What is Steve, six, four, two, yep. four? You know, he's, he could be intimidating, you know? And so- Yeah, I know. <laughs> and from that, and the questions he asked and, um, so we went to school together. We fell in love with each other. And, and you know, Steve is from Utah or some wild place. He lives in Mesa. And I helped him get black. I was like, what are you talking about? black people. Like, I can't remember. I think we were talking about something. And I said, and Tavis Smiley, who at the time was a really premier journalist and an important figure in the African-American community, and Steve didn't know who he was. And I said, how you don't know who Tavis Smiley is? But then I realized, you know, that as a white male living in Mesa, Arizona, he don't have to know what's going on in the black community. So, but that opened up a, a door for him. And he realized that there were some places where he wasn't clear. You know? oh. So um, we did that. And then uh, I was growing in the visions, in the visions uh, Institute. And 
I just needed some support. And also at the time, I was in the middle of divorcing the man that I had married twice. And my daughter was dying of colon cancer. And, you know, one of the things about mental toughness is knowing when you need help. And I needed help. I was I was juggling and navigating and losing. <laughs> and so when I went into prayer and meditation, I was told, you know, get a coach. And I said, okay, could you make a recommendation? <laughs> and they said, you went to school with him. So it was Steve. So wow. I hired him as my coach. I worked with him for a year. He worked me through that divorce. He worked me through my daughter's transition. He worked me through, you know, getting my feet and staying grounded. And and then we just became friends. And then we became brothers and sisters. Oh, so that's sweet. Yeah. <clears throat> so you weren't born with the name Yanla. No. No. Can you tell us about your name, how it came about? I was born Rhonda Eva Harris, son, daughter of Horace Lester Harris and Sahara Elizabeth Jefferson. Um, and my mother was an alcoholic who died, died of leukemia when I was two and a half. And my father was uh, a former uh, army. He was in the army, dishonorably discharged. And so he became a number runner and a street hustler and a gambler and a womanizer. And so I was raised by my patriarchal grandmother, who was a Cherokee native, Chishleki is the appropriate name, but Americans say Cherokee. So she was a Cherokee oh. native and um, um, who had been married to a mixed race man. Uh, my grandfather, Lester Harris, who was drowned. Um, so she was a widow at the age of 15, came to New York and became a domestic worker, uh, left my father in the South. He came to New York when he was seven and she worked as a domestic from the time she was 15 until she was 76 working as a domestic. And I was born into that level of wonderfulness. <laughs> you know, a Native American passing for black because it was easier for her to be black than it was for her to be a Native American. Wow. And a black man with a dishonorable discharge in the 1940s and 50s. So he found making a way of living only way he could. And um, I was a motherless child. Now, the unfortunate thing is nobody bothered to tell me that my mother was dead. <laughs> I didn't know. Oh, wow. So I was raised believing that one woman was my mother who wasn't my mother. Wow. She wasn't my mother. She yeah. was my father's wife because my mother was the other woman. My mother was the outside relationship. My father was a married man. So after my mother died and my grandmother abused me, we went to live with my father and my stepmother. And it was a lot of suffering. It was a lot of dishonesty. My whole life was a lie. I grew up not knowing who my mother was. I grew up denying my patriarchal lineage as a Cherokee. Oh. I grew up watching my father engage in all manner of womanizing behavior. I grew up in violence and 
despair and poverty and racism and sexism and pain. So when I was 21 years old and my life totally fell apart, I had three children by three different men and I was living in a marriage where there was domestic violence. Um, and I made the second attempt to take my life. Uh, I spent six weeks in a mental institution and I was ready to just give up until I had a very wonderful visitation. I don't know what else to call it from what I now know to be the divine mother. And she said to me, do you want to die or do you want to stop hurting? That was a very profound question from a divine being, don't you think? <laughs> yeah, where, where were you in that moment? I was laying on my kitchen floor dying because I had taken an overdose of drugs. Wow. And I had this vision and that's what she said to me. Do you, and I had a six week old child. I was really in the throes of postpartum depression which they didn't talk about 47 years ago. And, and, and I saw this woman in the kitchen with me and she said, do you want to die or do you want to stop hurting? And I said, I want to stop hurting. And she said, okay, that means you got to be willing to change everything about you. Oh. I said, okay. So they found me and they pumped my stomach and I spent six weeks in the mental institution praying and journaling and getting clear. And in that process, I was led to a teacher who took me on an incredible spiritual journey. And in the midst of that journey, they said, you know, Rhonda has endured enough suffering. It's time for you to be elevated. And <clears throat> they elevated me. And part of that role, that initiation was changing my name because your name is your nature. And each time they call your name, they are reminding your soul of its purpose. Oh. So when they call Chris, every time they say that, whether it's Chris or Christopher or uh, Christine or anything with that Christ energy in the beginning, we know that you're here to teach and to lead and to, and to expand and to live really in service to others. They don't teach us that about our names. So my name was Rhonda, which means grand flower. Oh. And people pick flowers. <laughs> okay. And mm. I had been picked on all my life. Mm. So that's when they elevated my name to Iyanla. And Iyanla means great mother. And the mother is the teacher. The mother is the nurturer. The mother is the support. Because that name Iyanla is in alignment with my purpose. Oh just to elevate the consciousness of humanity, one mind, one life, one body, one spirit at a time. That's why I'm here. So when people call me Iyanla, they are reminding my soul. That's oh. what I'm going to do. That's beautiful. I'm so glad I asked that question. Yeah. That's, a, that's an incredible <laughs> story. That's really fantastic. Yeah. So who are they? You only referred to them, they, who gave you the name Iyanla. Who are they? Well, they're my elders in the Yoruba tradition. My mother was a Dahomean, born uh, first generation born in this country. And her elders, therefore, are of the Yoruba people. And through, you know, just 
connection, divine connection. I met my elders in the Yoruba culture and went through a series of studies and initiations and trainings. So the elders in the Yoruba tradition gave me my name, cool. renamed me so that I would be in alignment with my purpose. Yeah. Right on. Amen. So just a couple more things. Um, you, you've acknowledged the following publicly, so I'm cool saying it. Okay. You have identified yourself and Hardison as a shoe whore. <laughs> yes, I confess I'm a shoe whore. <laughs> I will sell my two front teeth for the right pair of shoes. <laughs> you, yes. You brought and the crowd it, down. You brought the crowd down, the house down. When uh, we all heard you say that, yeah, he, uh, you know, he and, and you know, travels, he is. Yeah, he travels all over the world. Whenever he sees a pair of shoes, either that he's buying or he thinks I would like, he sends me a picture. Oh. I'm sure I love shoes. I like to travel in style, and so I love shoes. I I have I have probably bought and given away thousands and thousands of pairs of shoes. Right now, I probably got about 300 pair. <laughs> in my wisdom years, you know, I like to look at them. I don't wear them much anymore, but I, I can I can sport a pair of shoes. <laughs> Crushing the kicks. So finally, uh, Steve <clears throat> wanted me to relay a message to you. Okay. He wanted me to tell you how much he loves you how much he's learned from you and how blessed and honored he is to even know you. Wow. And I would say ditto. <laughs> I love him. I love him. And his wife lets me love him. <laughs> yeah. Many women let you love Amy their knows, husband. <laughs> yeah. He flirts with the world. That's what Amy says. You flirt with the world. Yeah. But I love her too. I think that's why. How do you not? How do you not love Amy Hardison? <laughs> it's not possible that's not a possible thing like this is not going up like when i let go of this pen it ain't going up right right you get, right. You get how that works yeah he um, is a brilliant beautiful soul and yes we are shoe whores and we do love each other <laughs> publicly <laughs> well, thank you steve for the inspiration for the introduction and um hey by, real quick do you happen to know immaculate illa I know of her. I don't know her personally, but I've read her books. That book on the uh... left, left to tell. Yes. What? Right. I was talking about that book the other day, and then I thought of you. I didn't know if you if you guys had ever connected, if you and Immaculate had ever met. But there's something. Yeah. I something love her. Has you know, we'll picture. probably that would be a powerful a powerful meeting. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I don't know if you knew this, but. Um, you are my 100th episode guest. So thank you. Thank you for having me. That is powerful. Yeah. Your 100th guest on 222222. Do the math. Do the math. <laughs> All right. So this, this is the best place for people to go. Best place for people to go. Yarmo.com. What a great website. Yeah. And I encourage people to look at you know, something I'm doing right now is the spiritual study sanctuary where I walk people through an intimate investigation and exploration of certain spiritual texts that support them in doing the work. You know, we got to do the work. You can be as intellectually prowess as you want to be, but if you don't do the work, 
prison. Nothing's going to happen. Thank you so much for your transparency, for your vulnerability, for your wisdom, for your commitment, and for your humor. <laughs> amazing. I didn't expect the last of that. I saw, I almost fainted when I was so red. <laughs> I, I didn't see that coming. We are yeah. definitely making a highlight out of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you got to laugh. That keeps your heart open. So I'll come back. I'll be your 200th guest. Okay. All right. Okay. Then I'm going to record 100 more real fast. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I appreciate you so much. Thank you. Yeah. And good luck to the tribe. Good Thank luck you. to the tribe. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Oh, okay. Let's do that over. For uh, this is dedicated to you, Alan D. Thompson. Woo! <laughs> Thanks for the intro, bro. So, um, wow, right? Just love what she had to say about you know mental toughness. Her, her, you know, her definition of it. And um, and and I love the story of the beast, right? Observing our ability to uh, observe. You know, I talk. I mentioned it. In our conversation, you know, mental toughness, I define it as, often define it as the result of having done the hard work of strengthening the way that you use your mind so that you can respond to reality with mastery, so that your response-ability is strong, so that you don't have to unnecessarily suffer. And that's, uh, th that sounds like what she, you know, the same thing as when she was saying, you know, observe versus react. Mental toughness is uh, about observing, being able to observe reality uh, and, then, and then respond with choice and it takes the work the hard work or the work <clears throat> but I gotta tell you <laughs> um, I was redder I was redder than the damn peel on my hat when she started telling that story I thought I knew where she was going and I was wrong you know when she said you know the mind is like a puppy and I smiled because I'm, I use that analogy all the time yeah no <laughs> not that one she started humping. I can't even believe that. <laughs> that was the best ever, ever. <laughs> Thank you for that, <laughs> Yama. Oh, boy, oh, boy. Can't wait to see the highlight clip of that. <laughs> All right, you guys. Um, I'm so happy that uh, Yanla um, chose to, uh, to, to grace us with her, her wisdom and her transparency and her hilarity, her humor and her love uh, for this, our 100th episode of Tough Talks. And I just want to say thank you to the tribe for being in support of the podcast. Because as you know, this is part of my legacy, right? I don't have kids and I'm not going to at this point. So my legacy will not be a nuclear family. It will, however, be, it is my content. And this is a huge part of it. So thank you, Iyama, uh, for contributing to it. And thank you for supporting it. Appreciate you big time. That means everything in the world to me. So thanks. And until next time, as always, great miracles.